0: If you would please open your Bibles to the book of James, we are in chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to read through verse 18, and last time our focus was in the first eight verses, this time we'll pick it up in verse 9, but let's start with James 1. 1 through 18, this is God's Word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe, not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does." The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed, in the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin is when it is full grown gives birth to death don't be deceived my dear brothers every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created may god add his blessing To this reading from his holy and inspired word. In the opening verses, we're told that our perspective on what we are going through needs to be changed from the perspective that comes naturally to the perspective that only comes supernaturally. We don't naturally count it all joy when we're going through trials of various kinds. That's just not our first flesh reaction. In fact, it's the opposite. Well, now beginning in verse 9, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. (laughs) What? Are you just saying we're supposed to be crazy? Well, he doesn't stop there. He says, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position." Okay, so you are saying basically we should just be crazy people. No. We should have a biblically informed perspective. Our view of ourselves should not be based on our circumstances, whether we're going through trials of various kinds, or whether we are financially impoverished, or whether we are financially rich. That's not how we figure out who we are. I am loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. I'm loved by you. If you know that God loves you and has made you his own, then in the midst of abject poverty, you rejoice in the fact that you're a child of the king and all this is very temporary. A friend of ours who's done missions work in some of the most desperate places around the world, she does medical missions, told us years ago, back in the 1980s, about one of her experiences in a different place called the Smoky Mountains. It's a place in Manila, in the Philippines one of the largest garbage dumps in the world, called the Smoky Mountains because the mountains of trash burn continually. And so it is always smoky there. And there are people who make their living, such as it is, living and working on that trash dump. They live there. They're not paid to live there. They don't pay rent to live there. They live there because it's a garbage dump. And people throw away things that might have some value to them. Food, for example. Construction materials. Clothing. All kinds of stuff that ends up in the dump. And they scavenge All day, they're scavenging out there, going through the trash, looking for something that they can use. Because they live there, that's where their children are born. That's where their children grow up. That's where their children don't get to go to school. But some of those folks living in that trash dump, are believers. And she went there in order to try and minister to them, but she said, they ministered to me. She said that as they prayed together, knowing that she was from the United States, They prayed for America, and particularly for Christians in America, because they knew that the temptation of riches must be very difficult. She said they were not praying that Americans would send money to help them, They were praying that Americans would not be seduced by the materialism and greed that often comes with financial wealth. She said, I wept, because they were sincere. They were not trying to stick it to me. They knew that it must be difficult to live a life where material things come so easily. A number of years ago, the phone rang down at the office on a Saturday, and I was in there looking to see if there was any mail. And I decided, even though it was Saturday and the office was closed, I would answer the phone, so I did. And a very distinct Australian accent on the other end asked... uh, if if he could speak to someone uh, about Ware's Valley Ranch. And um, as I first began to respond, he said, you're Jim Wood. <laughs> I said, yes. He said, I don't believe it. He had heard me on a Focus on the Family broadcast, and it just never occurred to him that someone who spoke on Focus on the Family, would answer the telephone in the office. Well, I'm really more likely to answer the telephone in the office than I am to speak on Focus on the Family. But nevertheless, he was so excited to get to talk to me, and he said he wanted to come here and volunteer his services as a mentor, And uh, he was a coach at a Christian school in Australia. He wanted to come over here and learn how we do ministry. And so we worked it out, and he came. And he lived with us up at our house, and it was wonderful. He was a huge blessing. But one of the first things that happened when I took Jared to the grocery store, because when people are going to live with me, I like to take them to the store and let them pick out things that they'd like to eat because that's what I would want to do if I was going to live with somebody else, just so you know. So we went into the grocery store, and one of the first he was just kind of blown away. He'd never seen anything like an American grocery store. And he said, after a few moments of shopping, he said, it must be very difficult to be a Christian here in America. And I said, what do you mean? He said, when I go to the store in Australia, I get to choose between white bread or dark bread. He said, when you go to the grocery store, you've got over 20 kinds of bread to choose from. And he said, that's the way it is about everything in the store. So as a Christian in America you have to make decisions about things that don't matter all day long. And I said, no, you've got us all wrong. No, I didn't say that. I thought, wow, I never thought about that. But you're exactly right. In the midst of our affluence and abundance, we are inundated with distraction and decisions None of which really matter. Don't say that. It really does matter what kind of bread you eat. Not compared to what is going on in the world. You know what's going to happen? If you eat right and exercise, you're going to be healthier in all likelihood on your way to the grave. Okay? I, I recommend it. I think you ought to eat right, and I think you ought to exercise, and I try to do both. But I'm still going to die! And ultimately, it will not matter if I was the fittest person in the cemetery. Okay? When my mom died at 99, the funeral director said she was in amazing condition he only saw her after she was dead but when she went in at age 90 and had an x-ray because we thought she might have broken her hip they said she has the bone density of a 14 year old girl absolutely amazing but you know what she's buried in Swannanoa North Carolina right next to my dad who died at 87 and a half. You're going to die. All right? We're all going to die. So don't let the focus of your life be on minutia. And if you are rich, you need to know something. The one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. If you want to see something that is depressing slash comical, look at pictures of celebrities as they age. It's just amazing. You see the athletic man posing, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Amazing. And now you see Arnold. He's an old man. He looks pretty good for an old man. If you look at the difference between then and now, you say, ooh, I see where this is headed. Okay? It's kind of like the flowers that I buy for my wife, and they look so beautiful for days. But gradually, some of them go from this to this. Okay? The heads droop. And they dry up, even though they're still sitting in water along with the others. This week, the bouquet of various color roses... The yellow ones went first. They apparently had been in the cooler longer before the arrangement was made at Costco. Okay? So all the yellows, one after another, just shriveled up. And that's what's going to happen to you. No matter how much money you've got, you cannot buy an extra extension onto your life. Oh yes, you can. You can have a multi-organ transplant. I'm just telling you, it still has an expiration date. You're gonna die. Now, what should I do then? Should I be depressed? No. You should rejoice. Take pride in your low position, knowing that you're gonna die And the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Even as he's focusing on the things he's got to get done, he's aging. And he's fading. And it's all temporary. So, what do you do? You find your identity in Christ. You rejoice. Because you see, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Therefore, back in verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Whatever you're going through, whatever your difficulty is. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Remember back in verse 3, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Verse 4, perseverance must finish its work. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, verse 12: Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because, here's the reason: because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who work hard. Oh, I'm sorry, maybe I should have kept my glasses on. Oh, To those who love Him, it's not about our performance. Our performance is based on our relationship. I don't have a relationship with God because I perform well. I perform as well as I do because I have a relationship with Him. It's because I love Him that I want to do His will. I don't do His will in hopes that He will love me. He loves me, I'm His child. He chose to give me birth. This was his doing. He gave me new life because he loved me. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, clean up your act and I'll consider letting you in. He said, I love you. I love you. I want you to trust me. My plan for you is good. Whatever you're going through. Consider it pure joy. God is at work. You don't have to be afraid of the circumstances. God will see you through. Oh, but this is hard. Okay. Persevere. What does persevere mean? It means keep on going. Keep on going. So... God has promised the crown of life to those who love him. That's why we persevere. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted. Well, now, wait a minute, Pastor. Over in Hebrews, James comes right after Hebrews in my Bible. Over in Hebrews, it says that Jesus was tempted in all points, just as we are, yet was without sin. Yes. Well, isn't Jesus God? Yes. Well, why can it say that God cannot be tempted? Because Jesus isn't just God. Jesus, who is fully God, is also fully man. And as a man, he was tempted in all points, just as we are, yet without sin. So as we've said before, temptation is not the same thing as sin. And James even makes that clear. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each of us is tempted when, by our own evil desires, we're dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That makes it sound like there's sort of a process at work. Yes, precisely. And this is according to God, not just according to me. I just try and say what it says. That's why sometimes I deliberately misstate what it says in hopes that you will go, okay, instead of... (laughs) I want you to recognize if what I'm saying doesn't line up with the text because I want you to know the truth is what he says in his word. I can get it wrong. He never does. So, what does he say here? Well, God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone. So don't blame it on God. Why is God letting this happen to me? I had a young woman who'd gotten pregnant out of wedlock, and she came to see me, and she said... I don't understand why God did this to me. And I said, you are not the Virgin Mary. God didn't do this to you. The reason you're pregnant is because you had sex with somebody you're not married to. God didn't do this to you. She hadn't thought of it that way. But we do that. We put ourselves in situations we shouldn't be in, and then we behave differently than we should behave, and then we want to blame God. That's crazy. God doesn't tempt us. We get tempted by evil desires. How many of you have ever wanted to do something you know you shouldn't do? Thank you. I had to wait for a few hands to go up. Okay. We've all been there. We've all been in a situation where we knew this wasn't good, but we really found it appealing. Okay? That could be a joke about fruit in the garden, found it appealing. Got it? Uh, Appeal. Anyway, terrible pun. But some folks right now, uh, one of my favorite denominations is fighting Seriously, I mean, good people fighting each other over whether or not those who have certain desires that are sinful, evil desires need to repent of being tempted. Okay? And some of us who are not in that denomination are joining the chorus of those who are in that denomination to say, no, don't try to make people feel guilty for having evil desires. Well, the Bible says there are evil desires. Yeah, what that means is a desire to do something that's evil. It doesn't mean you're guilty for being tempted. I'm not sure that's right. Well, let's look at Jesus again. Was Jesus tempted... To throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple? Yes. Would that have been an evil thing to do? Well, yes. Well, so should Jesus have repented of being tempted to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple? Well, no, because he didn't really desire it. Was it a temptation or was it not? The Bible says it was. The Bible says that in the Gospels and the Bible says that in Hebrews. well, This says we have evil desires. Yes, we do. We have a sin nature, a fallen sin nature that we have to continually die to. Jesus did not have that. However, if you think that means it was less of a temptation for him, then you are denying two facts. The first is, that Hebrews says, it was like us. The temptation was like us. It wasn't less than us. It wasn't, well, he was tempted in all points, but um, not like we are. (laughs) It says, like we are. Secondly, and I've used this illustration countless times, please don't forget it. If I get in a boxing match with a heavyweight boxer, maybe a medium-weight boxer. For that matter, if I got in a boxing match with a featherweight boxer, I'd be in trouble. But, but if I got into the, a boxing match with a heavyweight champ, okay, to do a fundraiser for the ranch, that's the only reason I do it. And, uh, you know, they say, if you'll just get in the ring and fight the guy and last just one round, okay, if you can make it through the first round, you will get $100,000 for the ranch. $100,000? How long is a round? Okay? Oh, maybe I could do that. If you make it through 2 rounds, you get a million dollars for the ranch. Oh. Who is funding getting seeing me killed? You know. <laughs> now, if you will make it through 3 rounds, you will get $10 million dollars for the ranch wow okay first of all I would not last one round okay I, I, you know I just know because I've watched boxing and uh, and so I get seduced by the money I'm thinking 10 million dollars for the ranch if I could just last three rounds you know I can move I can move <laughs> it's all I got to do you know Can I kick? No, it's not allowed. This is, this is classic boxing. All right, all right. If I get in the ring with him and the first punch that he delivers knocks me out cold, I don't even get $10,000. <sighs> so afterwards, I try to tell some other professional boxer who has fought that guy. Hey, man, you don't know how hard he can hit. No, I don't know how hard he can hit. Because the first time he hit me, I lost consciousness. (laughs) Got it? The one who knows how hard he can hit is the one who went 15 rounds with him. You and I think that God can't really appreciate how strong temptation can be. Oh, no, no, no. You got it wrong. Jesus knows better than any of us how strong temptation can be because he went the distance and never gave in. He came out the champion. So don't ever think that your temptations are so strong They're just irresistible. Now, if you are in Christ and he lives in you, you can obey him and say no. But don't let the devil try to get you to quit fighting by telling you that if you're tempted, you've already blown it, so you might just as well go ahead. That's the lie that Satan is using right now on the homosexual community in our country. If you have a temptation in that direction, it's because you're homosexual. And what really galls me is that some of the people who are assisting the devil in that work are well meaning Christians who are telling people in the homosexual community, hey, If you have that temptation, you need to repent of the temptation. Because it's a sin for you to have that desire. Folks, I have never been tempted toward homosexuality. But I have other temptations. And my response to those temptations is to say, God forbid... No, I don't want to do that. And so the devil comes along and he says, Hey, sorry, you already blew it. No point in feeling that you've got victory. Because if you were really godly, you wouldn't even have such a thought. Jesus says, I was tempted to bow down and worship Satan. Is your temptation worse than that? And I say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed, is that a picture of how strong temptation can be? <laughs> dragged away by desire? Have you ever been dragged away by a desire? I have. It's like, I shouldn't do that. I really shouldn't do that. I really. You know, what was happening? I was being dragged away by desire. What do you do? You say, quit that. No, I'm not going to do that. No, no. What did Joseph do? He ran out of the house, leaving his cloak behind. She's grabbing onto his clothing, trying to hold on to him. He said, I got to get out of here. And he did. He ran out of the house without his clothes on. Well, why did he undress? He didn't undress. She grabbed his outer garment that everybody recognized because it was... Joseph had a thing about clothes. That's how he got in trouble with his brothers, remember? Anyway. Dragged away and enticed, and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. The desire itself is not sin. It is a sinful desire, meaning it's a desire to sin, but the sin is after the desire has conceived and given birth, clearly making a distinction inspired by the Holy Spirit between the desire and the sin. There's a relationship between them, but there is a distinction between them. Please understand that, Presbyterian Church in America. Understand this, folks, our salvation is God's doing. He's the one who saves you. He's the one. He says, I love you, I chose you, I gave you birth through the word of truth. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. God gives us new life. He takes away the heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh. He is the one. Who saves us? Read Titus chapter 3. He saved us. He saved us. That's the passage I want at my funeral. Because salvation is, well, you know, uh, while he was alive, this man did many wonderful things. (sighs) He saved us. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Our confidence is in Him. And the wonderful thing about that is when you realize that, you're not saying, I hope I make it. I hope I make it. I really hope I make it. I'm trying really hard. Please see that I am trying hard. I really hope I make it. No, we rest in His grace. Does that mean it's all easy? No, it's frequently filled with trials, sometimes fiery trials, painful trials, but We persevere knowing there's a crown of life for those who love him. And we love him because he first loved us. It all starts with him. And he's the one who will carry us through. So don't be afraid. That's how you persevere. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your marvelous grace. Thank you for saving us when we could never have saved ourselves. Help us, we pray, to repent and believe the good news. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.